Hi everyone, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. You know, one of the biggest questions I get on the show is what exactly goes into a business exit plan and when should I start creating mine? Well, I always tell people that the best time to start was five years ago, but the next best time is now because you never know when you might need it. So we put together a free report that describes what an exit plan is and what you should know. You can get it free by texting EXIT PLAN with no spaces to 44222. That's EXIT PLAN to 44222. Again, text EXIT PLAN to 44222. Welcome to the Exit Coach Radio Show, the show for baby boomer business owners who are looking for cutting-edge information as they plan their 3- to 10-year business succession and exit. Every week, we interview top professional advisors for their best tips, strategies, and precautions so you can be well-planned. And don't miss our one-minute Exit Coach tip of the day on ExitCoachRadio.com. And now, here's your host, the Exit Coach, Bill Black. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to uh, today's show. It's uh, always a pleasure to have you with me. And I have a very interesting show today uh, lined up for you. You know, there are many things that you do on a daily basis that you probably don't think very much about, but that if you thought about it, you could probably do those, those things better. And one of those things is understanding how to persuade people. And if if You've been wondering if you're persuasive enough and and how all that works. You're in luck because today my guest is Patrick Ranwazi, and he is with a company called Sales Brain, where he's co-founder of that company. They're based up in San Francisco, and we're going to talk today about the persuasion code, the science of human persuasion. It's going to be very interesting, so I'd encourage you to grab a pencil and a pad of paper and take some notes. Patrick, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for joining me today. Good morning, Bill. Glad to be with you. My pleasure, Patrick. Uh, it's uh, you know a very interesting topic, and I'm really looking forward to learning about the science of persuasion. Before we get into that, uh, tell our listeners, if you would, a little bit about yourself and, and your company, SalesBrain. Yes, so um, as you can probably hear, I'm a French nerd. I spent my <laughs> life actually selling uh, supercomputers. I was with a computer company called Silicon Graphics. And I sold multi-million dollar solutions. So I became an expert in what's called complex sales. In other words, you know, I'm an expert in convincing large corporations that they need to spend millions and millions of dollars on telecommunication systems or complicated software deployments and et cetera. But what got me in the line of business that I'm in now, and I, I made that turn about 20 years ago, was that I was always puzzled that nobody ever taught me how to persuade. In other words, if you think about it, most people think that persuasion is more an art than a science. And at heart, I am a scientist, so I I didn't like that. So I've been spending the last 20 years of my life trying to better understand the brain of the people we're trying to persuade and see if we could come up with a simple, linear, step-by-step process to persuade. So, uh, you know, my first attempt at coming up with something really solid was 20 years ago when I co-authored the very first book on no marketing. I mean, no marketing is, you know, the combination of no science about, you know, how the brain works and marketing as in, I'm going to try to sell you something you might not even need. So, you know, about 20 years ago, we started to use different techniques to get there. But today, the good news is uh, we have really good indication of how, what people do with their brain when they, when they decide. So my quest in life, if you want, has been to reverse engineer the decision-making process and to teach corporations uh, how they can be more persuasive. 
That's fascinating. That that's something everybody obviously needs to do. Uh, it's a competitive world, and uh, at at the point of decision, uh, it might be that extra um, that extra oomph that gets somebody, that extra phrase that you use, that extra question that you ask that gets somebody to choose you and your product or service over someone else. So this is something that everybody can certainly learn from, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this. So, you know, I, I know that uh, you, you said that this was something that you found out that you didn't, there was no way to learn about this. What kind of triggered you to, to say, you know, I really want to get into this and learn about this science of persuasion? Well, it's because there was really a, a, a cruel thing missing here, which is that there are two worlds today. There are the world of researchers, people that are experts in psychology or people who are experts in evolutionary biology. And that's the world of neuroscience, if you want. These people have a white coat. They work in a lab, and they spend their life looking at the brain of people through an fMRI or through different kind of research programs. And then there is the world of business. And those two worlds do not talk to each other. So, again, you, you have that notion that neural marketing, that new science of marketing, is really creating the bridge between the two. So, again, we wrote the very first book on this 20 years ago, and, and we spent the last 20 years to refine a model that shows people a step-by-step -step process that will lead to better persuasion. Now, you know, one of the problems is even if you get an MBA today, you will not get a class which is called persuasion. What do you need to do to persuade? Mm -hmm. And the issue with this is because persuasion is highly complicated. It's very, very complex what happens. And nobody has ever taken the time to remove some of the complexity and come up with the linear process to do that. But I came to that realization about, uh, you know, 20 years ago, which was that um, a lot of people in the research world, they know that our subconsciousness plays a greater role in what we decide than our consciousness. In fact, there is a researcher by the name of mm -hmm. Daniel Kahneman who won the Nobel Prize in Economy in 2002. And Kahneman discovered, again, about 20 years ago, that our primal brain, or what he calls system one in the brain, our unconscious, if you want, plays a greater role in what we decide as opposed to what we think our neocortex. So looking at what those researchers know about system one, uh, we've been able in my company, and this is what we released in our last book, The Persuasion Code, we've been able to translate these findings, which, again, at the end of the day are very complicated, into a step-by-step -step process to persuade. And the whole idea is that this unconscious brain, what we call the primal brain, some people also miscall it the reptilian brain, that that reptilian brain in the skull of the people you're trying to persuade plays a greater role in what they will end up deciding. And what's difficult, again, is, is how do you access that subconsciousness? So a, a lot of people had intuitively discovered uh, ways to do that. But the key is that now science gives us a process which is, you know, you cannot discuss it because it's purely scientific. So you apply the process and you get the results that you're expecting. Is it reliable? I mean, as far as what you've been able to figure out, it, does it work like 90% of the time, 80% of the time, can you, can you quantify that this, right. if you employ this, so, this formula works? Yes, yes. So you're right. It's still not 100% sure because at the end of the day, people have free will to choose. So, you know, if I try to influence you to, to buy uh, chocolate ice cream, 
But if you really, really like vanilla ice cream better, then most likely I'm going to fail. However, this new science of neural marketing, by looking at various kind of physiological changes that happen in our body, when I ask you the question, do you prefer vanilla or do you prefer chocolate, I can either use your self-reported measures. In other words, you're going to tell me, well, I prefer vanilla, right? But we can yep. measure directly on your body various physiological changes that will truly indicate if you prefer vanilla as opposed to chocolate. And the techniques wow. that we use include using an EEG. So we, we measure the brain waves on your head when you tell me if you prefer vanilla or chocolate. We can measure your pupil dilation. We can track your eyes. So to see, for example, if you would be looking longer at the vanilla ice cream as opposed to looking at the chocolate ice cream, right? We can measure how your skin changes resistance, called skin conductance test. We can measure your change of tone of voice. So all these physiological changes, at the end of the day, they will give us a really interesting indication as to what you really prefer. Because the key is that if I ask you, Bill, you know, on a scale from one to 10, how much do you like vanilla versus chocolate? Well, you're gonna tell me, you know, I like vanilla at seven and I like chocolate at nine. So if you tell me this, then, you know, I should manufacture more chocolate ice creams because you told me that you like chocolate more than vanilla. But the reality is after you've asked all these people what they prefer, you manufacture the ice cream and suddenly you might realize that people may decide to get more vanilla, although they told you they like chocolate better. So that was one of the early promise of neuromarketing, you know, when we started all this 20 years ago, was that by doing these physiological measurements, we're going to get yes. a better indication as to people really, really want. Okay? So that's yep. one aspect of the work that we do. And the sac- yeah, and second it, it, aspect of it, the work that... Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was, I was just going to say that, that it brings up, and I, and I might be putting the cart before the horse here, and I apologize for that, but it brings up the question to me of, of brand versus price. You know, you know what, are the, what are the overriding factors? Because uh, smaller brands um, that, that do less marketing try to compete with price, right? So, uh, so there, there's always that consumer. Let's, let's say I'm in, uh, I'm in Best Buy, uh, as an example. I'm in a, I'm a consumer retail store, and I want to buy a washing machine, and I really like this brand because it's always worked for my parents, and I always like this you know, brand. It's always been good for me. But here's the other brand that um, it's lesser known, but it's about a, it's a 200 bucks cheaper, and of course that's what those are. Those are a couple of the levers. What are those levers, and how much impact do those levers have on the consumer brain? Yes. So maybe I would need to tell you a little bit more about our process because. Okay. So the first thing is that all our methodology, all our assumption, are based on the fact that the unconscious, or what people call system one, or again what people call the primal brain has a greater impact on what we end up deciding as opposed to our rational brain or what Kahneman calls system two. So based on that, then we have come up with a four-step process. So let me tell you what the four-step process is. The first step is the idea of diagnosing the pain. Uh, I'm going to review those four steps and then I'm going to come back to your question because it's step three in our process, the issue of the price. But so step one is the importance of diagnosing the pain, knowing that if you ask people what do they want, they don't really know so that today we have access to all these techniques that will go directly at the root of what you really want. In other words, it's gonna help us peek inside your subconsciousness to really figure out what you truly want. That's the first step, diagnose the pain. The second Mm -hmm. step is differentiate your claims. And what that means is 
Once people have identified the pain, the problem is most likely you have competitors, and from the eyes of the consumers, from their brain perspective, they don't see enough difference between all the solutions. So if they don't see enough solution, they will choose randomly or they will choose the cheapest solution. So the idea is that you need to differentiate your brand at all costs. The third step is demonstrate the gain. And we will define the gain as the difference between value and cost. In other words, you will take your customers from a painful situation, you will bring them to a less painful situation, and that delta is called the gain. So in mm -hmm. the uh, question that you were raising, it's that if I don't see any differences or differences that are significant enough between competing solutions, then of course the price is gonna be a big part of the equation. However, if you take high-end brands, for example, you know, does it make sense for people to buy a Ferrari and pay twice as much as what they would pay for a Porsche, right? I mean, down the road, mm -hmm. the performance are just about equivalent, but the good news is Ferrari has been able to create the illusion in the brain of the consumer that the extra value of the brand, which is all in the pride of ownership, right? The pride of ownership of the brand right. Ferrari justified to multiply the price by two over a regular Porsche, right? So, so that's the issue of how do you demonstrate the gain? And some brands are extremely successful at it, and they've been able to create that perception that, you know, Ferrari is worth twice as much as a Porsche. And it's all, again, right. in the subconsciousness of the brain of the person who will buy that car. Makes sense. Okay. Right? So, so again, right, so right, that's right. the third step in our process. And when you answer those three questions, what are the pains in the brain of your customers? And pains are defined as some kind of negative emotion, and if those negative emotions reside in their subconsciousness, they even have more strength than if they reside in the consciousness. The second step is, what have you been able to define in terms of what makes your brain different? And we call that the claims. Third step is, how do you demonstrate the gain? And in other words, you, you take your customers from a painful situation. If they buy from you, hopefully they will go to a less painful situation, and that, that defines the gain. And then the last step is, how do you deliver your message to their primal brain or to their unconscious? So the first three steps of answering the question, what's the pain, what's the claim, what's the gain? It helps you define the what you should communicate. In other words, that solves the equation of what you need to say, the content of your message. And then the last step is the how you should communicate it differently. And whatever you communicate should be remembered and it should be understood and the more it's understood at the unconscious level versus the conscious level, the more effective your communication will be. So on, on that last step, and it's about you know, one third of our book, it's really yes. the, the science of communication so that it, goes, it, it creates a certain level of understanding much faster than anything else. So I'll, I'll give you an idea, but you know, typically the subconsciousness of people does not understand words. Why? Because if you look at words, Words have only been in existence for about 10,000 years for spoken mm -hmm. words, for written words, I'm sorry, and 50,000 years for, for, for spoken words. So words, unfortunately, do not have much chance to reach the subconsciousness of people, our primal brain, our reptilian brain. Why? Because this brain that I'm talking about, that unconscious brain, is extremely old. It's about 500 million years old, as opposed to our neocortex, which started to evolve and to appear only about 5 million years ago. So words, by definition, will have a hard time to reach that primal brain. Instead, pictures will get there. 
And we all know, you know, this is, again, a lot of people that have experienced themselves in marketing, they know that, and it's commonly understood that, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. But there is a mm-hmm. very scientific explanation of why visuals will go to the brain, you know, will create understanding much faster. In fact, if you look at the optic nerve, the optic nerve is connected directly to the, um, to the primal brain, and that the bandwidth of the optic nerve is 50 times faster than the bandwidth from the ear to the brain. So, wow. you know, what does that mean? Well, that means at the end of the day, if you want to communicate and deliver your message directly to the primal brain, using words is not going to cut it. So that's why it's very hard to communicate this concept on the radio, for example, right? But a yes. good picture will do it. And, you know, again, if, if I go to the conclusion of this, if you look at how people advertise when they want to sell a program to lose weight, you know, they don't tell you if you, if you get on my program, you will lose weight. What do they do? They show you a picture. They show you a picture of the guy weighing 300 pounds, mm-hmm. and then yep. you contrast it with the same guy who has lost 100 pounds. Right? So in one mm-hmm. visual, they are capable of communicating the whole value proposition. The pain is the guy on the left side of the picture who is slightly overweight, and the claim is, well, if you get on our program, you will lose, you will lose weight better than any other program. And how do I demonstrate the gain? Well, I demonstrate the game by showing you another picture of the same guy who has lost 100 pounds. So you can see on a simple communication that this ad where the guy has lost weight, the whole chain of pain, it's the guy overweight. The claim is our program is better than any other program to lose weight. Gain, well, guess what? You will lose 100 pounds. So you see the whole communication. And then the last step of our process is how do you do that visually? Well, guess what? I'm going to show you a picture with a before after, the same guy before after. Uh, and, uh, and, and you, take, you can take the same example for people who sell you products to regrow hair, right? Regrow hair, guess what? Mm-hmm. You have the guy who's mm-hmm. bald on the left mm-hmm. side, and then the same guy now who has a head full of hair on the right side. Right, right. Very, yeah, yeah. You don't need to. You don't need that many words for that type of a demonstration. And, and that was that was going to be my next question. Is that along the way? Uh, we're creating, as you said, the illusion in the mind of the customer of the of demonstrating the gain. Um, if if you're that smaller brand and and you want to, um, cre- you know, so bigger brands just spend a lot of money on advertising. I mean, you know, I've always, you know, why does why do brands like Bud Light or Nike or uh, McDonald's continue to advertise because they they need to continue to to reinforce those images in your brain, right? Because otherwise, uh, someone else is going to come along and, and, and take over that space in your brain. Is that right? So, yeah, that brings a very interesting question, which is, what is a brand? And, you know, I, I've been working in this field for over 25 years, and, and one day I, I, I heard somebody say something, and it stopped me, and that really helped me understand what a brand is. And a lot of people define brand as a promise or brand is you know, a benefit or whatever. But I found that the best definition of a brand is, is the following. A brand is an associative memory in the brain of the consumer that connects the brand with a brand attribute or a brand benefit. So let me give you an example, Bill. Um, well, let, let's start with the brand of a car. So if I tell you why would people buy a Volvo, what do you think is the main reason why people would buy a Volvo? safety. That's correct. 
Now, what happens is Volvo, by repeating the word safety for the last 60 years, they've been creating a memory in your brain. So when I say right. the word Volvo, the concept of safety was attached to it in your brain. That's why it's called an associative memory, right? It connects one contact, one concept, like the name of the brand, with a brand benefit or a brand attribute. And in the case of Volvo, it's that concept of safety. Now, some consumer brands like Coca-Cola, for example, they don't really have a, a major benefit, right? So instead of having a, a, a brand benefit, Coca-Cola wants you to associate the word Coca-Cola with a number of situations. And those situations would be, you know, going to the beach. In fact, it's, you know, any situation where you would want to need a, a drink. So yes. it's, uh, you know, camping, it's friendship, it's Super Bowl, right? So that whatever yeah. happens is then at the moment you go with your friends on the beach and you start to experience thirst, your brain will go, okay, now I'm on the beach, I'm thirsty, and guess what? All these images that Coca-Cola has exposed you to will make that connection so that at that moment then you'll go, okay, I'm thirsty, guess what? I want a Coke. So, again, yes. this is the definition of a brand, right? It's an association of memory in the brain of the consumer that connects the name of the brand with a few brand attributes. And, of course, when you do that very strongly, like in the case of Ferrari, right, that attribution makes it so that people are willing to spend twice as much as what they would if they were going to buy a lower car like a Porsche. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? Yes, it does absolutely. And for you know for you know for our average our average guy out there, guy or lady out there who runs a manufacturing business of some kind, and they they you know they're one one of the uh, areas that they need to uh, work on is their social media, their marketing, their marketing message. So it sounds like to me, from what everything I've heard so far that it's very important, number one, for people to read your book, the, Persu the Persuasion Code, which is available on Amazon, but number two, to come up with some kind of a consistent, uh, simple message to reach uh, that, that, uh, the primal brain, the system one brain, that, that because, uh, as you said, I mean, most, most decisions, it sounds like to me, I've heard this for a long time, are, are based on emotion and justified with logic. Is that right? Correct, yes, uh you know, that, that's one of the concepts. In fact, it's one of the researchers here in Los Angeles who, who came up with that. His name is Antonio Damasio. Damasio is, you know, one of the top experts on all of emotion and the brain. And here is what he said. He said, we make emotional decisions and then we rationalize them, not vice versa. In fact, he said, we are not thinking machines that feel. We are feeling machines that think once in a while. So we are feeling machine that thinks once in a while. In fact, you know, one of the way you can trigger that system one, that, that primal brain, is emotion. In other words, if I, if I send you a stimulus, and if that stimulus has no emotional component to it, for example, you know, doing mathematics or uh, you know, solving a, a very rational process, then by definition, it will not involve the primal brain. So emotion is the key that makes us decide, right? And, right. of course, the price plays a little role in emotion, but that's not the main thing. In fact, in the case of luxurious items like an expensive Ferrari car, right? Yep. If the emotion of paying for the price was the main driver, then nobody would ever buy a Ferrari. 
but it's that combination of it's, it's that way. That's what we call, you know, demonstrate the gain. In demonstrate the gain, on one hand, you have to show that the value of your solution outweighs its cost. And the financial cost creates a negative emotion in the brain, whereas the pride of ownership of owning an expensive car creates a positive emotion in the brain. So the job of the smart marketeers is to, as quickly, as effectively, and as rationally as possible, right, demonstrate that those negative emotion in the brain of the consumer that will decide to buy, and of course, one of that negative emotion is obviously coming from the price itself, but that, that negative emotion is overcompensated by the positive emotion of owning that new piece of, of equipment. And when you do that for consumer, most of it only appears, that positive emotion only appears at the level of that personal emotion of owning it. But when you're selling to a corporation, the, the, the positive that comes with it is not only an emotion because there might be a positive that comes from saving money. Because if you have a current solution, and if I sell you a new solution that will help you save money, you know, saving that money creates in itself a positive emotion, but it also helps the CFO justify his purchasing decision. So uh, at the end of the day, when you're with a consumer, most of the issue is about making the consumer feel better. But when you're selling in a B2B situation, it's not only about how you need to make sure that all the decision influencers' lives are going to be impacted positively, but it's also about demonstrating rationally the return on investment, if you want. This is really a fascinating topic, Patrick. We've got to wrap it up right now, but I'd love to have you back and talk more about some of these issues because I think we just <laughs> barely scratched the surface today. But I want to remind listeners that uh, Patrick uh, Ranwazi is a, a Vistage speaker, and I know a lot of Vistage members listen to this. So tell your chair uh, to, uh, to have him come in and speak to your group. And also uh, look for the book, The Persuasion Code, on Amazon, and uh, Patrick, would you uh, would you entertain uh, calls from uh, uh, listeners who might want to talk to you more about this and how you can help them? And if so, uh, how would they reach you? Yes, the easiest way to reach me because we travel all the time would be via email. My email is Patrick P A T R I C K at salesbrain.com. The name of our company is Salesbrain S A L E S B R A I N dot com. I love the topic. I love the, uh, your energy uh, delivering it. You're, you're clearly passionate about this, and I think your, your book must read like that. So, again, I uh, encourage you, if you're listening, to uh, pick up the book, The Persuasion Code, on Amazon. And, Patrick, uh, I really appreciate you sharing your, your wonderful uh, – I, I took about two pages full of notes, and I hope our listeners did, too. This is a fascinating topic. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure, Bill, and uh, again, I hope we'll have a, another chance maybe to go deeper into the iceberg, because as you said, we're just touching the tip of the iceberg. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 